Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Duke Football Coverage Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Bull City Coordinators. Go check us out on our website, bullcitycoordinators.com. Follow us on Twitter at DukeFBCoverage. You know where to find us. We are wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're going to go ahead and cut straight to it. We have a former wide receiver at Duke who played there from 2012 until 2016. And if my research is correct, he wore number 83. Welcome to the Duke football coverage podcast. How are you doing, Anthony Nash? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate y'all for having me on here. Well, I appreciate you coming on, taking your time out of a Saturday evening. It's January 8th, which is when we are recording this seven o'clock so let's uh let's give the audience a chance to find out a little bit about what you've been doing since you graduated what have you been up to yeah so since i've graduated in 2016 so I, i'll give you a little history catch up <laughs> so in 2017 i tried out for the broncos and had the little pro day and everything and, and i went to the broncos um which was awesome so i had a good opportunity to go through a little nfl training camp accomplished a dream that, you know, I thought would never happen. Um, so throughout that year in the summer, got cut in August, kind of bounced around other teams to try to make to the practice squad. Didn't go with that. Um, luckily, I was admitted to a physical therapy school at Duke, um, which was a blessing for me looking at the long term now. And I went to Decided to go to PT school at Duke in 2018. Uh, Three-year program, went through all that, little courses and my internships. Uh, graduated in May of last year and got a job in Cary, working as a physical therapy or physical therapist at PT Solutions at Panther Creek. Uh how many people that you treat hate you because of the intensity of physical therapy? A lot of people like to make jokes, man. Uh, it's pretty funny. It's everybody's interesting, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's great. The bond you create with all these different people that you never think that you would have a conversation with. Um, that's why I really like physical therapy. It just brings people together. It's a different kind of form of like physician to patient interactions that people don't really have. So it's kind of fun. Uh, people don't like it, but you make them feel better with massages and they kind of, you get that little truth and then you help them out and get them back to the day. One of my former law partners had a hip replacement and told me that what motivated him to get through the physical therapy was imagining that one day he'd get to kick his physical therapist. <laughs> Sounds accurate. <laughs> well, it, it worked and he got very functional and he said that the people that went through the hip replacement at the same time that he did that stopped doing the therapy didn't get back to functionality like he did. So no. it makes a difference. And in my line of work, I treat a lot of people who've been in car accidents or various types of surgical complications. And I always tell them, do all the physical therapy and then do more if you want to get better. Yeah, we got to go be above and beyond, basically. It's a, it's crazy how weak you get, you know, when you get injured and stuff like that. You don't think how tough it actually is to get to where you were. And you got to put a lot of dedication to it. What brought you into the field of physical therapy? <laughs> Playing football. <laughs> Just getting, I had so many hamstring strains. And then 
the collarbone in 2016 really set it off. That was the really the dinger. And like the PT, I don't know if he's still there. He might be, but it, uh, it was Zach Kristofsson when I broke my collarbone and me and him really worked together and he really motivated me and inspired me to really like try out for the NFL. Cause I was done with football when that happened. I was like, this is it. You know, I've only had limited um, tape out there. Like hopefully everybody loved the Notre Dame game. Cause that's like basically what I'm riding off. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't even know this is like an, even a possibility. I'm just trying to be realistic with myself. And then Zach really pushed me to like, Hey man, like this is a one a lifetime thing. Like regardless like you have an opportunity that people would die for. So he really pushed me with that injury and kind of got me out of that darkness to really see the light of what, you know, my talents can really do. So that really was like, if this dude can help me get past like these tough times, then I want to do that to other people. Like forget football. Like that made me feel great. Like I felt like a different person. Like I wanted to conquer the world and stuff. And I was like, I want to give that to other people. Let me switch gears a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what the, if I recall correctly, you signed on with the Broncos as an undrafted free agent, and you mentioned bouncing around from camp to camp a little bit. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that process was like for you and other people who may be going through something similar, what they should know about it. Yeah, well, it's, it's, well, let's see, it's very, you appreciate it. You, you have to appreciate what it is. Uh, it's so it's so much hard work even just like coming from college you just got to look back and say wow I just made it here um, but you got to take it very serious these people these are grown men <laughs> and this is what they do it's not like oh we play football and like we go back to school like this is their job this is football 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 and more football and when you realize that like okay like I really have to love this and you have to set that like yeah I love this and this is what I want to do which deep down I didn't truly, truly love it. Just being real with myself. Um, that's like really makes you exceed in that opportunity, I would say, but it's different. It's fun. Um, Duke football really compared to like, you know, big name schools, like even when say like Alabama or whatever, like we have athletes that can compete with that. And that's where really what I realized when I was like, when I was working out in Denver, Tennessee and Indianapolis or whatever, that like, you know, Duke football actually has good players. Like, we're not any different than any of these other people that I'm competing with and, like, competing well with them. So it's great to think of, like, oh, yeah, I want to have these awesome offers and stuff like that. But if you have an opportunity anywhere coming from Duke, like, you can compete. And if you can ball, like, you can be in that position to make it to your dreams and even more. You guys put a lot of good players in the NFL back then in in various ways, and you guys were very competitive uh, at a lot of levels that we, to be honest, haven't seen in quite a while, and we'll get into all that here in a little bit. Uh, But if you can, walk us through how you ended up playing at Duke, and I will say that I listened to an interview of yours on YouTube, and I have to ask you this. Did you really like North Carolina as a kid growing up? No, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, looking back at it, that's the the first place when I was, well, I was probably like 12 or something like that. My grandpa took me down to UNC because my um, cousin was going to UNC, so we were helping her move in, and he took us to the football stadium, and I was like, wow. I want to play here, exactly right here. 
Yeah, crazy how it all turns out. <laughs> all right. Crazy how it all turns out. Nobody's perfect. Everybody has sinned at some point. You made up for it many times over. We will forgive you for that. But it worked itself out. <laughs> crazy. Why don't you walk us through how you ended up playing at Duke? What brought you to Duke? Yeah, so let's see. So I didn't start playing football seriously until my junior year of um, high school um, due to my buddy making a bet with me saying that if I played football, he would play basketball. And this guy is <laughs> not the best basketball player. So I thought it was it was comical to see him play basketball rather than me just playing football. So my junior year was crazy. I had a pretty good year for my first year and people got interested in me. I started getting off like local offers for fo from football for like Pittsburgh, Temple and all these little schools around in Pennsylvania. And then I was like, okay, it, basketball, I don't care about basketball anymore. We play football. Um, so which led me to actually going to my summer going into my senior year, um, which led to me sending tape to North Carolina and then my coach saying, hey, since we're going to send tape to North Carolina school, why don't we send it to Duke? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, sure. So I don't really care. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> and um, Duke emails him back the next day, um, Cutcliffe, and says, hey, we're, gonna, we're, we're starting summer camps. And then we want you to come to, like, whatever. It's like a free trip to come try out, like, at the one-day camp. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this. My mom said, hey, you're going to go to Duke and you're going to try out and you're going to whatever, try your best. And we're going to go take this opportunity. And I'm like, OK, whatever, mom. So I go down there um, for the camp. Funny, I was with Jalay Duncan, Thomas Sirk, and I think Michael Westray. We were all at the same camp. And... The biggest thing that popped out to the Duke staff was when I ran a 4-2-5-40 on the track on Wallace Wade back in the day. They got it nice now with a nice stadium. But we ran the 40s on the track, and I was like, oh, man, this dude, this 6'4 lanky dude ran a 4-2-5. Let, let's see that. Coach Jones was like, oh, I don't know about that. Let's see. Let's see it again. So I ran up there, and I ran a 4-2-6, and I was like, oh, man, this guy, this guy's crazy fast, um, which led to an offer at Duke, um, thought about it, wasn't really sure about it, talked about it with my family. I thought it was the best opportunity, so then I committed to Duke in June of 2012, or 2011, 2012, whatever it was, and yeah, I started that summer. Uh, where did you say you were from originally? Uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania. What was the process like going from Pennsylvania to North Carolina? I'm sure getting adjusted to barbecue was uh, a big thing. But other than that. It was the humidity. That was crazy. Definitely in the summer. I never, I never really experienced that. And yeah, it was too much for me, honestly. And there's not, it doesn't really get too cold here, but the food is crazy good. So it was cool. It was a good adjustment for that. But yeah, that humidity and the mosquitoes are crazy. <laughs> so you you mentioned um you mentioned coach jones was that Derek jones who was recruiting you uh matt lubick recruited me along with um jim knowles 
Jim Knowles is a Pennsylvania guy. Um, yeah, and they recruited me. What were those two guys like? They were cool. They were really cool. Matt Lubick was a <laughs> he was an interesting guy. Yeah, I had so many receiver coaches when I was at Duke. I just realized that I had a good bit, but Matt Lubick was the receivers coach when I was there, and Coach Knowles was safeties coach, maybe linebackers coach at that time. And yeah, they were really cool guys, quirky fellas. They played off each other well. They're really cool. Well, walk us through, you come in in 2012, and I think you registered <laughs> that year. Yeah. And you you go from playing behind guys like Jameson Crowder and Isaac Blakeney, and then you're there alongside guys like Max McCaffrey, you know, making big plays. What was that process like going from behind an NFL, you know, talent like yeah. Jameson Crowder and Isaac Blakeney to becoming a big contributor on the team? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a blessing. Looking back on it, I hated it because I was like, man, I really want to play, but this, these guys are crazy good. Like, how am I going to get to this point? So it got frustrating, but I learned so much from them. And those two, specifically Isaac and Jameson, were so helpful to me from all aspects of just adjusting to college, how to play the game along with balancing, you know, school, um, how to improve my game. Um, and just many just life stuff. Um, so it was really awesome learning from them and building a bond with them. And Max, we came in at the same time. So we just naturally, both of us were competitive because we both knew if somebody was gonna play as a true freshman, it was either gonna be me or him. So it was like that, just that, comp that competition that we had together, but we grew together, um, just coming in together. And by the time when I was my red shirt, junior and he was his senior year we were just like this and it showed on the field too because we were just in unison yeah you guys had big games against virginia tech in 2015 but i have to ask you since we're talking about max mccaffrey there was some issue with him throwing a clipboard or something this year <laughs> last season yeah. tell us a little bit about what he was like on the sideline carlos ray told me he was a fiery guy but he's a fiery me. guy you wouldn't expect it he has a he has a little bark to him <laughs> he's a funny dude he just gets very he's passionate and he gets really into the into the moment so he did it in practice he did it in games that's just who he was whatever it was he was just pick up basketball he was just a fierce dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he's awesome <laughs> um what advice would you give to current players who were kind of going through maybe some of the progression that you went through of kind of sitting behind guys and now maybe stepping up to get a chance this season or next season yeah yeah I mean just keep going you know there's so many chances where you get tested and I think it's honestly for the good because you know if you go through a storm you always see the sun but you just got to embrace whatever situation you are. Like nowadays, it wasn't like this when I was playing, like the transfer portal wasn't such a big deal, like and utilized um, back then as it is now. But like, if you don't want to transfer or whatever, I say just stick it in, learn from the guys above you, um, challenge them every day, definitely in practice, because that's when you get the most reps um, and just have fun with it. You know, if you get so down on yourself and beat yourself up, you're just digging yourself a bigger hole. Um, I definitely been through that. Just like, man, is it me? Like, why me? You know, the coaches don't like me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Poor me, poor me. Instead of just saying, all right, forget that. 
I'm just going to, all I can do is control how I play. All I can do is control my reactions, my emotions. So let me just put my head down, work, work, have fun with it, loosen up, enjoy it. Remember why I played this game and remember it's just a game. Um, I feel like that would take you beyond like the mental struggles that you can go through. Let's talk about your seasons at Duke. You were part of four great seasons for the program, 2012 through 2015, four bowl games, and then the injury plague 2016 season. Good stuff. <laughs> which, yeah, I, I just got a post up on the site today about part three of the Cutcliffe era, and we talk about the injuries in 2016 and 2018. But I want to ask you one thing about 2015, and I'm glad that you're wearing a pinstripe bowl sweatshirt right now, okay? Uh, the listeners to the podcast know I'm from – I am live in Roanoke right now, Roanoke, Virginia, and a local columnist was commenting on uh, – Virginia Tech playing in the pinstripe bowl. And I want to read to you what he said about this and get you a chance to comment on it. Okay. <clears throat> this is Dan Casey, Roanoke Times. Major football powerhouses such as Duke University have played in the pinstripe bowl. The Blue Devils actually won it. That right there is indicative of the esteem attached to this bowl game. And as you can tell, he was talking a lot of trash about Virginia Tech not going to a bowl game that he thought was worthwhile. Do you have any comments from Mr. Casey and his thoughts on the on the pinstripe bowl and you guys from that era? Yeah, what does that even mean? A bowl game's a bowl game. I don't know. I feel like it's crazy. Like, ever since they introduced the college football playoffs, everybody shoots down bowl games like they're nothing. Like, they still mean something. They were – it's a big deal. And I'm pretty sure when we were playing bowl games, we had a lot of viewers – clicking in into those games that showed a lot of meaning to it. And we had players not opting out and everything because they meant something. So I don't understand why it's just the pinstripe bowl. Yeah. Well, to that point, I was prepping for a trial watching the pinstripe bowl. I was watching it by myself, reading deposition transcripts, <laughs> drinking a beer or two or however many and yeah. getting ready for the game. And it was a big game, but what was it for you guys? after having been through everything that you guys had been through from 2012 till that game? Massive. It was a big every, – every bowl game that we went to, especially my first one, we were my, – my class was spoiled. We went to a bowl game almost every year except for my last year. But we took it very serious, definitely being so close in every game and kind of like messing it up or fumbling it, you know, not being – clutch uh, which is you hate to see it because oh uh, man it makes you sick but that meant a lot we couldn't do it again like we couldn't do it again and that game definitely showed it but we that year was special that was a special year let me um one of the things i want to ask you about is you get the win in 2015 and then 2016 happens Right. And I mean, every time you turned around, someone got hurt. You mentioned a collarbone injury to you. You seemed like you were turning into the guy, like you were turning into the big play guy, catching everything. Yeah. Walk us through that touchdown against Notre Dame that you had. Yeah. I mean, shoot. It, it, you hate to see it. You know, I, it makes it still makes me sick. Like, why that had to happen. But, it is what it is. But that year was awesome. Definitely against Notre Dame. I feel like that was when I was starting to come through. Um, 
we were did, we did so many scouting reports on them, and then they they always cheated the safety. So throughout practice, we all always we des- designed to play, just put it in for that week because they know that when we line up in a certain formation, the safety's cheating down and playing the run. So when we had DJ, he's a mobile quarterback, so you kind of had to account for him. So we just designed a fake run. He just flicks it over. If the guy bites down, the corner cheated in, played inside coverage because the formation and the safety bit down to kind of cheat the run. They both shot. The other safety saw it late, so he thought he could he could break on it, but I was running for the win because I was like, this is on TV, mama. <laughs> I got to catch a check. No, but yeah, <laughs> that was a good game, man. It's, and it's so crazy looking back on it because you're like, man, we beat Notre Dame and then everything just started going doom, 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 doom. And I feel like we had so much potential that year. What do you, what do you think? I mean, and I'm going to put a link to that, that play that you had because you tight walk, tight rope the sidelines, just ran it in there. I mean, it was great play. What, what do you think would have happened in 2016 had there not been the injuries? Oh, I feel like we would have been top. I think we definitely had a chance to go, hopefully, ACC championship. But definitely a bowl game, easily a bowl game. Um, even in the games that we weren't, even though, you know, a handful of other games. But even though we didn't have our stars, like, we were so close in certain situations that we couldn't even make a full game. So I feel like if we had the players that we had, definitely if we didn't have lost Cirque, even though kudos to DJ, but he wasn't ready for that year and we didn't plan for him that year. So that Cirque injury really hurt us. But no telling how far we could have went if we didn't have all those injuries. You lost guys on the O-line. I think you lost your punter at one point. You lost Jalei Duncan. I mean, what was it like just each week to just go out and someone – I mean, you got hurt. I mean, what was that like? It was tough. You could just see, like, the energy just went down because the energy was – we were riding high even though we lost Devon and Sean and – or Jalay and stuff at the Notre Dame game. We were still riding high. But, like, as the injuries kept going, you could just see the energy just sucked out of the locker room. You could see the coaches getting down just – trying to find a way, trying to find a combination that would just stay on the field. So the injuries really just took the energy away. What was that like for, for Edwards? You mentioned that, and, and I shudder to bring that up because it was such an awful injury that he suffered against Notre Dame. But, I mean, he's a guy that, that you can't really replace. And I'm not criticizing any of the guys that you played with or anything, but, but Edwards had a unique ability that few other guys – Who've, who've played had, which is just every time he was around the ball, anything could happen. Yeah, he was a superstar. He was a superstar. And, like, I mean, it hurt. It hurt me specifically. It hurt everybody on the sideline. Definitely everybody that came into class with him just to see his growth from a player. Definitely the year before what he had, which was historical in Duke history. And then it just being taken away like that was terrible. I hurt for him because he could have been an NFL guy for sure, easily. Um, in my eyes, he was so versatile as a player and it was a good person as well. So it sucks that it had to happen to him. Well, you look at, uh, I think it was 2013 against NC State and against Carolina. I mean, you take him out of those games, you, you know. wonder how they turn out, just his unique ability to make plays happen. Yeah. It's just 
He's a clutch guy. Um, let's talk about something a little more cheerful. Let's go to four overtimes against Virginia Tech and Blacksburg. What was that like? Banger. That place is amazing to play at. That's the best college college experience, college play at, well, besides the Peach Bowl. But that game was awesome. Uh, just shutting that crowd up on a Friday at their place. I think it was on a Friday. I'm pretty sure it was Friday. But at their place, oh, man, that was awesome. But it was tiring as anything. <laughs> uh, we, we had uh, Thomas Cirque on, and I think he said that uh, he told you guys at one point, we're about to go shut those guys the hell up, talking about the fans. Uh, what what was it like in overtime? I mean, you, you had a lot of seniors uh, who'd been there for a while, what was the mood like? Were you all cool, calm, and collected? Were there any nerves? Just walk us through that. <laughs> there was for sure nerves. It was nerves in the fourth quarter, right when they – I think they tied it up or whatever like that. I don't know how it went up. But after the first time we scored in the first overtime, we knew we were going to win that game. There was, there was no doubt that we were going to win that game. And we had the grit and the determination. The coaches kept pumping us up, and the guys kept feeding the energy. And it showed out there um, in that game. So it was awesome. That's how. That's when I knew that season was going to be different because we finished out games like that. Well, the week after that, you guys played Miami. And <laughs> I'm going to warn everybody now, we've covered this a lot. We're going to keep Crazy. coming up with, with people. You weren't on the kicking teams unit for that. I think you were on the field for the play where Sir scores the touchdown, right? Yeah. Did he get over the end zone? Did he get cross the goal line? Easily. Yeah. Got in there. Okay. All right. Walk us through the, the roller coaster emotions of how do you guys feel when he scores the touchdown and then when he gets the two-point conversion? What are you yeah. guys thinking? Game's over. The game's over. All we got to do is, you know – finish the kickoff or whatever like that. It's game's over. I don't know how. That game's sickening. <laughs> oh, man, I hate that game. Because I don't even know how they even got away with the robbery on that kickoff. Like, I still, still to this day, when I see the video of it, when it pops up on Twitter or whatever, just looking through, it just makes me sick. But just to see the... <laughs> The super high to the super low, real fast. <laughs> the game was crazy. Well, so you guys think it's one, you're on the sidelines, you're watching the kicking teams come out, yeah. and you see them squib it. And, and then you just walk. like get somebody tackle them, just somebody tackle them, somebody hit them. And then you see it all just the passes one by one. You see them setting it up, setting it up, setting it up. And you're like, somebody just hit them. And then you see everybody getting tired. And that's the worst being from the sideline. You think, oh, yeah, man, if I was out there, I, mean, I would do something too. But you're not out there. And you don't know how tired that really is. Just anticipating and anticipating. All you can do is watch and just say, hopefully somebody just shoot in there and just tackle them. And then you see them like, oh, the game's over. When you see like the one guy is about to fall and he's throwing it, you're like, oh, it's over now. There's no whistle or anything. So then you're just like panicking. And then you could just see, I think there's a picture, like the news observer of like the whole bench just like jaw dropped when they like rule a vid, rule the touchdown and they're going to review it for about 10 minutes after the game. 
And then you would think like after the video of them showing all these penalties and all the, the guy's knee clearly down with the ball in his hand and they don't call it still. And then they say the ruling on the field is still a touchdown. And you're just like, it, that, was, that was terrible. That was heartbreaking. Well, did you guys see the player with his knee down on the lateral? Did you see that from where you were? Could you tell that the player was down? No. No, I couldn't. I couldn't see. But when they showed it on the on the video screen, then I could. Then they zoomed in on it. And you're like, oh my gosh! Like, what do you, this should be easy. So you guys saw it as players on the screen there at Wallace Wade. You could tell that the knee was down. Yeah, everybody could see it. The whole the whole crowd saw it. I thought right. they were going to call a flag for blocks in the back, and then. The, the fans or, not, or their sideline running on the on the um, sideline before the play was even over. That's what I thought they were they were going to call. Could you see the block in the back from where you were? Yeah, yeah. All right. So then you saw the flag come out. So you're thinking worst case scenario, it's a re-kick, right? Yeah, re-kick, whatever. Yeah, we can just change it up. That's just the kick way. it out of bounds. Yeah, just kick it somewhere. Just kick it somewhere away from them. I don't care. But. Okay. But yeah, I don't know how. I don't. I still to this day don't know how that was missed. Any of it. All right, I've watched that replay sequence more times than I care to discuss. But I think <laughs> they came out maybe three times from the booth. Okay, as that's going on, and you guys can see it. What are you thinking is happening? Why is this taking so long? This is. This should be a clear cut. <laughs> this is clear cut. The game's either over or it's a re-kick. That's it. Like touchdown's not even in is not even a part of the, the equation right now. Like it's just game's over or re-kick. But it doesn't happen that way. It's it's mind-blowing. And then they come out and they say the game is over. I'll tell you what Coach Latina said. He thought that the refs didn't think they were gonna get out of the stadium alive. Your teammate AJ Wolf said that he thought the refs had money on the game or something. There had to be. What, okay, what's your theory about what happened? <laughs> I'm assuming there, they had money on the game. There had, there had to be. Because to this day, I have no idea how that, wasn't, how that wasn't reversed. Like, I don't know. I don't even know how they made it out. I don't know. Did they get suspended? They did, yeah, for a fired? couple of games like, after that. I thought like you should get fired for that. Like, I don't even know. And then you can't do anything about it because at the end, what is it, like the next day, they're like, oh, we made a mistake. Like, what is that even? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you still had 10 minutes to review the, the play. Like, I don't know. How does that affect you guys going forward? Well, it crushes our morale, for sure. And then – we, I, th- I don't even. I think we went on a losing streak after that. I'm pretty sure. We, I think we got. Yeah, it was rough. We, hard. That, we were lingering off of that for sure. We were stunned. So and we kind of just latched onto that, and that definitely affected us throughout the season. Well, walk us through. So your your time at Duke, um, you were there for the best part of the coach cut cliff era with 2012 through 2015 and and you know 2016 as a fan i said to myself man if we didn't have all these injuries this would have been a really good season so i wasn't too bummed about it okay i know for players it's harder because you're going through it every week but how do you think 
we should look back on that time and the entirety of Coach Cutts' tenure as the head coach at Duke. I mean, I have nothing but respect and love for Coach Cut. I mean, he gave me the opportunity to be where I am and to reach goals I never thought I would reach. So my time where it was there was nothing but amazing. I enjoyed my time there. I know towards the end it was rough, very rough. Definitely being an alumni and alumni of the team in the school, you're just like, uh, you have mixed feelings about it because you're just so passionate. You want them to do good, and then it's just not being shown. And then, you know, the embarrassment and I wish they would do better and yada, yada, yada goes through your head. But as a person, I have nothing but respect for Coach Cut. He gave me the opportunities of a lifetime and helped me get to where I am today. So I love him. I loved all the coaches that were there um, that pushed me and saw the greatness that I had in me and the potential I had in me. Um, so, yeah. What do you think about uh, Coach Elko? What do you think about what they're doing? Do you have any comments on that or thoughts about that process? So I don't really know much about him. I know he was a defensive coordinator at Texas A&M um, this previous year and some. Um, he's an SEC guy. I'm, I'm assuming that's pretty good for – at least Duke getting another another good coach from the SEC, as in David Cutcliffe. So I think it would be good. It's a good. I think it would be a good switch up for the school for the program. I'm assuming he will take us above and beyond. Um, just looking back at his interviews uh, and thinking about what he was saying that he wants Duke to be a good school now and being in the present right now, and he wants everybody to be involved now. I really like that from him because that's, I feel like was missing after at least starting in 2016 and 2017, that the, you know, the, the stadium wasn't really filled like it used to be, at least when I was there, we had that place pretty filled out um, and like students weren't really involved. So I feel like it was missing that the later ends. And I feel like Coach Elko can bring that back to Durham. What do you think it's going to take to get fans back or at least regularly coming to the stadium and particularly the students who didn't really seem to show up a whole lot this year. I mean, I went to two home games, I uh, went to a third one at Virginia tech, but I mean, what, what do you think it's going to get to take people to come out in force? I think we just need some excitement. You know, I feel like it's been, even when I watched a couple of games, it's just so predictable and so kind of bland. I feel like if we just see some like exciting plays, some flashy stuff, um, some consistency, at least in ACC play, that's big. If we win some games and actually show like, hey, we're, you know, we're a, an opponent that can actually compete, then you'll have that support. But you got to put in, you have to show it. You can't just talk about it and say things. You actually have to show like the proof. And I'm excited to see what Coach Elko can bring for this culture, for this culture, um, for this program and see, you know, make us alumnus very proud. How long do you think it'll take to get back to where you guys had the program and your time at Duke? Because I'll tell you, you know, we, we've lost a lot of guys to the portal going into next season. And in 2023, I think Notre Dame and Clemson are on the schedule, which is not going to be oh, easy, especially the machine that the Tigers are. Yeah, that's pretty. Man, I don't even know. Who's, who's going to be the starter next year? Because isn't Gunner? He's transferring, right? Correct. 
Okay, yeah, so I don't even know who the quarterback is. I heard they had a guy named Luca or something like that. He's supposed to be pretty good. There's the guys that they have right now are Riley Leonard, who played the most last year, along with Jordan Moore, and then Luca Diamant, who seems to be buried on the depth chart. And I don't know what the reasons for that are, although he's pretty quick. I mean, they could move him out to wide receiver. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what they have. So I'm assuming. I'd say I'm not giving I'm not gonna put a big opinion on him after this year. I'd say I need to see something year two and three. I think his third year would be the that's the one that really puts them in a consistent route. You just need to see consistency, at least improving. Like if they get at least I need to see at least two ACC wins at least. <laughs> that, that, that's all I'm saying. Okay, now we're improving. And then above and beyond. So by year three, I'm hoping that they're at least bowl game, at least. So, yeah, right. I think I think it's going to take some time and I think we have to be patient because the program's in better shape, I think, than when Coach Cut got here. But it's going to take some rebuilding because we have kind of fallen behind the rest of the ACC, as was evident with the wins and losses that we had. Uh, The well, the losses, not so much the wins in conference. (laughs) It's definitely going to take time. It's definitely going to take time. But it's just, it goes down to recruiting. If he has, you know, people that are, you know, legit good recruiters, they are honest to the players. It's hard to recruit for Duke, though, because, you know, you have to go put in the academics. So it's hard to have the both. That's when you have to find the unicorns. So um, that's going to be the tough one, I feel like, when it goes down to it. Well, t- tell us a little bit about what it is about Duke that makes it so hard to recruit at. I mean, obviously the academics are one, but one thing that some other guys have mentioned is it's just a smaller school. It is smaller. I didn't, you wouldn't expect it because you think, oh, like when I put turn on the Cameron game, the games are packed, but nobody realizes that Cameron's pretty small. That's a pretty small stadium compared to other college basketball stadiums. Um, So that's a tough part. It's not like a normal, I would say, it's not like a state school, like, NC State or anything that has a massive campus or the Alabamas and LSUs and SEC schools, even Virginia Tech that have massive student uh, bodies. So that's probably the hard part too, because you just have the, I think it's what, 6,000 undergrads. There's more graduate students than undergrads. So that's tough. Now, do you think the transfer portal is something that they can use to help bring in guys to fill gaps and provide depth? It seemed to work for the O-line last year. Yeah, I say why not? Why not utilize it? I mean, I feel like that's part of the game now, so why don't you adapt and utilize what you can? I mean, nobody's saying go and get all X amount of players, but like if you have a position that you feel like you can go out for the transfer portal and get a guy that is already proven, then why not? Well, tell us a little bit about how you think the Duke brand has helped you throughout your career, either through your time in football or your post-football life, what you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Duke has a big alumni base that always wants to help and reach out. Um, the reason why I'm even in, had an opportunity to be in PT school and be a physical therapist is because of the Duke ties. Um, I knew somebody that was heavily associated with the physical therapy program, and we um got connected and she helped me achieve the goals of being a physical therapist so I feel like the Duke name um is very important to have um under your belt 
um, because it shows like the excellence and everybody that it's alumni wants to help you and push you above and beyond to get where you need to be. Um, so yeah, but school-wise, I love Duke. Anything about Duke, I rep Duke all the time. Blue Devils, got to show the pride to them. Um, I love my time there. Um, I'm still in Durham, so that shows how much I still enjoy the atmosphere around it. Well, you got the hat on, you got the sweatshirt on. Looking back at your time at Duke, on the field, off the field, uh, your graduate program, whatever, I always like to give people a chance to say what they're most proud of looking back on their time at Duke. So open mic for you. Open mic. Uh, I'm probably most proud of the friendships I actually made uh, with Thomas Cirque, uh, Casey Blazer, Shaquille Powell, Max McCaffrey, everybody that I was associated with at Duke because it's a bond that will never be broken. I still hang out with a lot, the majority of the people in my class. And, you know, we were strangers and now these are one of the closest people in my lives that, you know, that we still associate, we still meet up and try to connect with each other. So that's probably the biggest gift that I got from Duke along the side of just developing me as a better person. Um, looking back on it, you know, you go through all the tough workouts, all the early, early AM wake ups and stupid camp and living in a stupid hotel for a month and eating all this garbage food and stuff <laughs> but you just build such a you have so many memories and so many laughs and so many shared experiences with these people that you just can't you know take that away from it then you know you won't get that from any, anywhere else so. well Anthony, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. We really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed your time at Duke. Ladies and gentlemen who listen to the podcast, we have some more guests lined up going into February, which means I got to start making calls to get folks on for March and thereafter. In talks with a current player to try to get them on, give us a little bit of intel about what life is like with Coach Elko and the new staff. Do you know where to follow us and where to find us? At Duke FB Coverage bullcitycoordinators.com and listen to us wherever you get your podcast. We will be back with more episodes throughout the rest of what will hopefully be a long and entertaining season two. Go Duke.